So when I was a kid, my sister and I used to go to Creation Festival like every year. Does anyone know what Creation Festival is? Have you heard of this? A few of you. It's like a humongous uh, music festival. Uh, it's kind of like a, like a Christian Woodstock of sorts. Uh, and, and there's lots of music, lots of uh, really strange things going on. Everyone's camping out, getting real friendly with one another. And, and it's a pretty good time, and I loved it going there when I was growing up. And, uh, and, and every day, everything shuts down twice in a day, and a speaker comes out and they give a sermon. And usually that sermon ends in a form of an altar call. You guys familiar with what an altar call is? Where a preacher kind of invites people to come forward and make a public confession of faith. Um, and, and this was just kind of the, the typical in out of creation festival was the way things happened. And I can remember when I was in eighth grade, as many people do when they're in middle school years, everything stopped making sense to me, like all at once. And, uh, and I was listening to one of the speakers and the speaker said, do you know, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And I thought about that for a second. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know that. Like, I don't know that. I'm not sure that I really believe that. And... Um, and so he went on a little bit and he said, I want you to raise your hand if you don't know that if you died today, you would go to heaven. And in kind of this moment of really simple authenticity, I like kind of like raised my hand. And uh, the speaker said, okay, well, if you raised your hand, I want you to come forward to the prayer tent. And then I was in a really awkward social situation because I didn't really have any desire to go to the prayer tent. I was just kind of acknowledging in myself, like, huh, this is new. Like, I'm realizing maybe I don't believe what I've been saying I believe for a while now. Except the problem was that I was sitting between my sister and my best friend who had seen me raise my hand. So then I felt like I kind of had to go forward to the front. So I did. And when I got there, um, I, I was directed with another group of people to go and speak to a volunteer. Now, typically, when you do an altar call, uh, what would happen is they would ask, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And then you would go up and a volunteer would lead you in some form of prayer of confession and you would ask Jesus to come in your heart. And so when I got to the volunteer, that's what he wanted me to do. But the problem was that wasn't what they asked. <laughs> they asked, do you believe? And I thought, I don't think I do. And, uh, and so I confessed that. To this guy and um, he's, he really wanted me to, to make a, a confession of faith and the problem was I had already kind of done that two other times <laughs> at Creation Festival. 
So it's just a really embarrassing situation, but I thought, you know, maybe he will be able to help me to understand why I'm struggling so much to believe this thing that I've been gathering with a bunch of other people talking about for a pretty long time now. And um, the truth was, he wasn't really equipped to interact with my struggle of faith, which is what I kind of thought it was. Because in my mind, what faith meant was kind of unquestioning belief in a particular thing. And um, so he kind of awkwardly prayed over me, and I felt a little dejected, my lack of faith unaddressed, and we both kind of left, I think, a little disappointed in the other. Now, I want to tell you that the rest of that week, God met me in this moment. I went back up to that prayer tent, and I hugged that man, and we both celebrated and hugged and cried, but that didn't really happen. In fact, it was going to be many years before I came to any kind of sense of authentic belief in the divine. And if I'm going to be really honest, that happened a lot of times after those many years, where I would come in and out of this sense of assured belief that there is a God in heaven and that God has a plan for me. And at times this word faith has even been weaponized, hasn't it? You know, I can think of so many people that I loved, people who were facing um, degenerative illnesses, uh, people who were facing abuse, people who were facing and struggling with self-injurious behavior, and, and so often being met with, if you just have enough faith. Has anyone ever heard those words? What violent words. And then we're turning today in our scripture to Hebrews 11, pretty famously referred to as the hall of faith. You see what they did there? Pretty clever. But of course the author didn't call it the hall of faith. We kind of slapped that on later, but... I was a little intimidated thinking about this hall of faith until I, of course, started spending some time in there. And the truth is that Hebrews 11 deeply challenged this dualistic either-or assumption about what faith really is, who has it, who's in or out of the family of Christ, whether I'm in or out of the family of Christ. So for any of us who have wrestled, who are wrestling currently, there are some really beautiful insights to be gleaned from this passage. Now I'm a pretty unabashed nerd. I like words, I like linguistics, I like to understand what they mean, where they come from. I can get really jazzed about a, a spelling bee. Um, and uh, I know not everyone is like that, and that's totally fine. We're going to spend a little bit of time being nerds this morning. Not a lot. We're just going to dabble in nerddom. We won't stay there. We'll move on. But um, 
The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 begins the chapter by offering up a definition of faith or what's commonly translated as faith. And this Greek word that's used for faith in this verse is pistis. Can you say pistis? It's a fun word to say, pistis. And pistis actually encompasses a few different things. It can be translated into faith, uh, belief, trust. It can also be translated into confidence, fidelity, and faithfulness. And the truth is there's some debate among scholars as to whether this word in Hebrews is talking about faith, belief, or faithfulness. And so that's just helpful for us as we approach the scripture to understand people are in debate about this. There are two other words there. And if you turn on the inside of your bulletin, I have a really nerdy little uh, picture for you of this, this verse. So what's commonly uh, translated as now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that word for assurance is hypostasis. can commonly also be translated into reality or essence. And then the word for conviction is elegos. This is really embarrassing because like, one of the formative people in my life is here today and she like went to seminary just to take foreign languages, Hebrew and Greek, because she wanted to know better. So if I'm mispronouncing this, at least forgive me. Um, and that, that word for conviction often translates as proof. And so it's possible, and some scholars might read this text as now faithfulness is the reality of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. And in fact, um, in, in the Revised English Bible, it says, now faith gives substance to things hoped for. And it convinces us of things not seen. Could it be that our faithful attention to seeking God, our yearning and pursuit for God and the process of discerning what that path even looks like brings about what it is we hope for. And not like a gumball machine, not like just whatever I hope for, it gets. What we're talking about hoping for is a pretty specific thing here, hoping for something better, hope for a new kingdom kingdom that's not built on economies or exploitation of natural resources, a kingdom that's not built on war or rulers or class systems. Verse 10, it says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So faith and hope are noted here as the pursuit of such a kingdom. And if we want some evidence of this delineation between kind of blind belief and faithful pursuit, all we have to do is look at this hall of faith. Noah, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, Samson, David, Abraham. 
What's perhaps most incredible about this list is how the lives of each person on it are marked with ups and downs. In these different stories, we see moments of doubt, selfishness, anguish, anger, bitterness, murder. This hall of faith is comprised of a flawed people. The people who lied, the people who had catastrophic moments of disbelief. Some who even scoffed in the face of God in the midst of divine encounter. we think about our Genesis text, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless and the one who's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, Jewish scholars tell us that when we see a conversation in scripture like the one we see in Genesis, where it says, but then Abraham said, and he says what he says, and then Abraham said that it's two different conversations, that there's space and time in between, right? So Abraham kind of spits back at God, and then there's a passage of time. God doesn't respond. (laughs) He kind of just lets Abraham sit in that. We don't know for how long. And then Abraham said, you have given me no children. Like, hey, God, remember? (laughs) You've given me no children, so my servant in my household is going to be my heir. He's ticked. And the voice of God returns and he promises Abraham that he will have a son and that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And Abraham believes him and he's counted as righteousness. Right? That's a really nice story of faith. Unless anyone has read further in the story. (laughs) Because pretty much the first thing that Abraham does is an incredible act of disbelief. Later he says, God, how do I know you're going to keep these promises? So God comes down in divine encounter. He makes a covenant with Abraham. And almost as surely as that covenant has happened, Abraham returns home and he and Sarah plan how they're going to bring an heir to be, which is for him to impregnate a slave. And when Sarah realized she's actually not all that just about that plan, maybe she uh, didn't, didn't think that one through, she mistreats Hagar. And Abraham turns a blind eye. And yet here Abraham is, kind of our most highlighted story in the great hall of faith. And you know, I think that there's depth and complexity to the lives we see here. And we could take comfort in that. That the lives of these faithful are as varied and as complicated as our own. And I wonder if their imperfection is what it is that displays their faithfulness, their wrestling. 
their doubt, their grave mistakes. Now, this is a list of messy people, and it could open us up to honestly acknowledging that to trust in the story of God is really, really hard. It comes with a lot of ups and downs. Being faithful to what we hope for is a tumultuous journey, and we are all stumbling our way through, aren't we? If we read a little further, verses 13 through 16, this is what happens to this list of the faithful. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Reverend Marty Solomon remarks of these listed faithful, they woke up one day and they realized that the promise is not going to come to them, but that the promise is going to come through them. Good people of faith, we are laboring toward a land we cannot see. At least not up close. It's not a party system. It's not capitalist or socialist. It has no borders. But it's out there, in the distance. And we're not simply called to believe that it exists, but to faithfully participate in the pilgrimage toward it, to this new country. I like this image that's on the front of our bulletin. It's a painting by Freeman Stolzfus, uh, and it's titled Field Hymn. I think it's just an image of this city. It's kind of evasive. It's out there in front of us. And this prayer of Oscar Romero uh, is kind of a helpful prayer uh, that Todd... Todd kind of slipped my way when he heard which passage I was going to be preaching on today. So this comes from him. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that should be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. 
No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. And we are workers not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. So if we go, if we pack our bags and walk this pilgrimage together toward a land we know is our true home, we will trip, we will fall, we will batter and bruise one another. We'll make some wrong turns together. And as we keep longing for a better country, God will not be ashamed to be called our God. Amen.